Hi, I'm Fred Schonenberg, and thank you for joining me on the Venture Fuel podcast. At Venture Fuel, we help companies find new solutions by partnering with the best startups from around the world. On the show, you'll learn the secrets of business leaders who tap into startups and the founders driving extraordinary results. We'll consider new ideas, stretch our mindsets beyond the status quo, and in the process, discover how to leap the competition and fuel personal growth. Hello and welcome to the Venture Fuel Visionaries podcast. I am your host, Fred Schonberg. Thank you so much for joining us today. This episode is around authentic entrepreneurship. We've got founder stories from three high-growth entrepreneurs whose unique perspectives and experiences are helping them rethink status quo solutions to some of industry and society's most pressing challenges. It features Nicole Schmidt, the CEO of Source, Chikesha Kidd, founder and CEO of Kanumi, and Tara Fung, the co-founder and CEO of CoCreate. This is moderated by Shira Averbush, who is the VP of Innovation at Venture Fuel. I know you'll enjoy it. So, Nicole, can you start us off, please? Yeah, I can. I'm going to steal from one of the other panelists and work out my nerves through telling a little, little, going a little deeper back to like when I was a kid. And then I'll feel better and not be nervous, right? I'm just kidding. I won't do that to you. <laughs> um, so I started my journey. Um, I, I've been in construction my whole life. My dad, you know, laid steel in Alberta. Grandpa was in construction, just was in my blood. I think I was like eight years old when I was like, I want to be part of the built environment. So I went to school for interior design. It was a wonderful experience, very grinding career that didn't pay well, so switched to the manufacturer side. Um, and then from there, it was really where I realized that like this experience that I had had as, a, as an individual contributor was just rampant across the industry, that there's you know, very little transparency in construction. I mean, I think things that construction's not known for are like simplicity and transparency, right? Like anybody that's ever done a remodel on their home is like, this is easy and was so fun and nothing went wrong. Um, and like in a nutshell, that's really what we're trying to do at Source is bring to the commercial built environment, like all of your information in one platform where, you know, it is transparent and simple. Um, and I, I mean, the sort of day I got the idea, I was a stone rep. I was like six months pregnant. Was like, you know, walking around, dragging my stone through the streets of the city and updating every architectural firm has a, has a materials library where you can like, you know, pick out what you're looking for because none of this information was on the internet. It was just like in the dusty closet in the back. Um, I'm updating it, and I dropped, like, this old box of rocks on my head. It had, like, Dennis Rodman on the side was how old this box of rocks was. And I was like, are you kidding? Well, we're allowed to swear. So I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Like, this is 5% of U.S. GDP, and that's how decisions are being made? Like, you know, and then founder, like, this is, uh, there's got to be a better way. <laughs> um, and so for me, it was just like, I had had that lived experience and been frustrated and, and then just was like, let's change it. Like, got to be something better. So I taught myself just a little bit of code enough to string like some existing platforms together um, and just kind of just kept building step by step from there. Fantastic. And we'll, we'll ask more about what, what it now looks like. Um, Tara, can you share? Yeah, and the question is like why we started or what we're doing. Or what both. you're what you're doing first, and then I'll, we'll get in a little bit more about you why. You set such a high bar, no, but, but that was so strong, Nicole. Like, 
And also, don't judge the coffee on stage, y'all. It's my first coffee of the morning, so I was like, I have to bring it with me or I'm just not going to be here. But so, Tara Fung, I'm the co-founder and CEO at CoCreate. And what CoCreate is, is we enable brands to unlock the power of their community. There's been such a shift from this concept of consumer to community where people want to be able to trust the brands that they're engaging with, and they often look to other people that they trust to recommend other brands to them. And we think that what Web3 does really well is it unlocks a new way of ownership and interoperability. And so we support brands like Atari that you might know and love, but even Web3 native brands like Boys Club um, in enabling them to grow, reward, and engage their community using the tools of Web3. That probably sounds like a bunch of marketing jargon, um, but what it, uh, it comes back to at the heart of it is bringing loyalty programs on chain. I uh, was on a flight yesterday at Delta. I'm silver. And it's the reason I got upgraded on that flight is because I still have my silver status from when I used to live in New York. But I live in Nashville now, and it's not a Delta hub. And I would really love to be able to say, that status is mine. And since I can't use it like I used to, well, I should be able to sell it. And those are the types of experience, this like concept of tokenized loyalty, where it's actually yours. And you say, you know what? Maybe if I don't want it anymore, because it's mine, I can sell it. Um, or because it's mine, I can also engage with other people that have similar status, that have similar affinities. Um, and so we're helping brands bring their loyalty programs on chain and engage with their audience in a new way. Thanks, Tara. Chikisha. So I, that was a very high bar um, that was set. But I, Kanumi, I'm the founder and CEO, and we are for active older adults who find it frustrating trying to navigate scheduling medical appointments, finding reputable vendors to help them around their house or stay socially engaged. We do all of that in one place with the support of a social worker-based model care concierge. And we have a platform that keeps their loved ones sort of in the loop so they have some peace of mind. This was created for personal reasons. I was not, you heard my background, I was an investment banker for almost 10 years. I worked in corporate as a P&L leader. This was not my path. I am not a traditional entrepreneur or found startup founder. Um, I founded this company out of necessity because I love my mother dearly. However, right? <laughs> so, so when you get that sixth phone call in the middle of the workday and it's just like, I want to help you. I really do. I am in a meeting. And, and so it's just like, what is the solution? So what happened is that I was at Aetna at the time. I had gotten promoted. I was running the student health business. My very first P&L, super excited, height of my career. My father gets really sick and passes away. Right? My parents had been married for 53 years. I'm six of seven children. My mom was a housewife. They divided and conquered certain things. There were certain things my mom had never done. When tax time came around, she freaked out. She was saving grocery store receipts. She was like, I have everything. Like, what do I do? So it was a matter of me sitting my brothers down, and I have a lot of brothers who do not help. They love her. They do not help. They think, oh, Chiki, she'll do it. So I became that go-to person, and it was overwhelming, and it changed the dynamic of our relationship. She does, my mom's 82, almost 83 now. She still drives. She doesn't wear glasses. She has her beach condo. She plays tennis. But she has diabetes, and she has a horrible sweet tooth. So we constantly argue about nutrition and things like, Mom, you need to sit down with a nutritionist to figure out how to cook for one and cook healthy meals. Well, I don't want to pay for that. You already do. You have a fabulous med sub plan. You already pay for this. Oh, so Kanumi helps people unlock those benefits 
find reputable vendors. I got into an argument with her, one of her contractors trying to overcharge her, had to get on a plane to fly down there. Like those are the types of things we help our clients avoid. Um, and it became a necessity because I couldn't find someone to hire. I wanted to hire somebody to do it so I could keep going on with my career, but I was one of 75% of caregivers who are the adult children, mostly daughters, 75% of us are women, and we take time away from our careers. So how can we create a productivity recapture solution for employer groups to help them with this caregiving need amongst their employees? And so that's what we do. Yes. All three of these women deserve a lot of clapping because... We, a lot of us have ideas. Oh, I think that I can solve this problem that I'm experiencing or in the middle of the night, I had this idea of starting this thing. But to actually take the leap to start something is a big, big decision. Um, so I, I want to dig in a little bit more about your lived experiences and how you decided to take that leap. So Chikisha, you talked about the burden that kind of fell on you versus your brothers. And we had a discussion about the kind of diverse workforce. Um, can you share a little bit about how starting Kanumi is meant to help from a diversity, equity, and inclusion perspective as well? Yeah, absolutely. Touch about a little bit. So when you have all these caregivers as women, when you start to think about the fact that we don't take promotions, we step away from our careers, um, we have, there's a lot of presenteeism, so you don't get promoted as often, that is hundreds of thousands of dollars per person that we're losing in terms of our earning potential over time, especially when you compound that with retirement savings and pensions, et cetera. So how can we come in as a company to provide a solution that allows us to stay present in our careers? That's what I want to be able to do. And it's, it's just this, this huge gap, right? Because a lot of people were like, women don't have to make these choices as often, right? They do make the choice, but they have a support system that allows them to make that choice. So how do we create a support system for women to be able to have that choice of caring for their loved one in a way that makes them feel comfortable, but still be able to focus on their careers and not reduce their earning income over time? So that's sort of part of our pitch when we go to employer groups and say, hey, not only can we help you with lost productivity, we can help you with your DEI sort of strategies and objectives. So that's, what, that's my take on it, and that's what we're trying to do. I Hopefully we're positioning ourselves the right way to, to serve that. But it's funny, like almost all of the adult children who contact us are the daughters. And so it's, it's like our proof points are coming to, like our assumptions are becoming proof points as we have experience and we grow. Yeah, so shifting a little bit, because all three of these startups, if you've noted, are quite diverse in terms of what they're solving for and the types of technologies they leverage, Tara, I'd like to turn to you and co-create and um, thinking about blockchain and you became fascinated by it. Can you tell us a little bit about why and how you see blockchain and Web3 really serving new communities and perhaps providing opportunities to underserve folks who didn't have them before? Yeah, so I come from a small town in rural North Carolina. Growing up, it was me, my mom, and my sister. Um, We didn't have much, but we always had more than enough. And I was just this curious kid I wanted to figure out how the world works. And I know a lot of people here have very specific passions or things where it was like, I knew I wanted to do X, Y, or Z, or I cared about A, B, and C. That wasn't me. I was like, I like learning. I like exploring. I like traveling. And I don't have a singular passion that is the guidepost for my career. And so when I was going into college, I remember one of my cousins told me, he said, you know, economics teaches you a way to approach problems. And I thought, well, you know what? If I don't know what I want to do with my life, it's probably a good idea to at least understand how to approach the various problems I will undoubtedly encounter. 
And so that has kind of been the North Star for me and why, and this, I promise, it gets back to co-create, and why, like, my career doesn't look linear. I started out at the parent company of Mercedes-Benz, and I would do things like analyze how we could finance um, fleet deals in sub-Saharan Africa, um, where there was a massive opportunity to sell commercial vehicles, but there wasn't the financing infrastructure to allow them to be purchased by these businesses. Um, or then I went on to Harvard Business School because I was like, you know what, I don't care about cars that much. I need more optionality. This will give me a jumping board into new opportunities. And I got into fintech, where it was all about money touches everyone, and it impacts how the world works, and it has real implications for people's lives. So you know what? Let me be in fintech, because that at least is intellectually curious and interesting to me. And fintech became alternative investments, and alternative investments started to include crypto. And then crypto was, okay, let's approach it from an investment lens. What can, role can these assets have in a diversified portfolio? And then it went from surface-level crypto assets at the top to underneath. Wait, what's this blockchain thing that's kind of powering all of that? And what does this mean? And what can this do? And how does this work? And holy smokes, blockchains can allow people to engage with one another without a trusted intermediary, and they don't have to trust each other at all. And so if you were, probably not the best example, but if you were betting on a race, you don't need a bookie because you could just say, here are the rule sets. I'm going to make my bet. And I know with certainty that these rules will be honored. And I don't need some middleman in between to make that be true for me and to trust them. I was like, hold up. Blockchains are going to fundamentally alter the way the world works and what is possible. And it's going to shift power away from intermediaries to individuals, and it's going to allow for value creation and value capture to be more closely aligned. That's the promise. That's the potential. We are not there yet. So when I had this realization, which was a little about a year and a half ago, I went from, okay, I've got a nice cushy job at a fintech where I'm the chief revenue officer and we're growing and we did our series A and B in one year because everything was so rosy to, I have to stop. I have to work in blockchain and Web3 all day, every day, because this is how the world is changing, and I want to be part of that new frontier. And so the question for me became, well, what do I do? And like, Web3 is massive. Like, it, it, it is literally a technology that can touch every single industry. And what I really was attracted to, um, probably because I am from a small town in rural North Carolina, and we didn't have much growing up, was well, how can this be, how can this empower communities? How can this give ownership to the people who are doing things that are valuable but don't have the connections or the money um, to demand the value that they've created be given back to them? Um, and so it's a very aspirational goal of trying to create more opportunity and ownership for individuals. Um, and at the application level, like the very tactical goal right now is um, for us, targeting brands, where it's like, hey, you know what? Brands have so many people they engage with, and when you bring ownership into the relationship, it changes it. If I feel like when I give my loyalty to a brand, it is actually mine, it actually makes me more loyal to the brand, and it unlocks things that are more than loyalty. It unlocks advocacy, engagement, the willingness for me to refer others, to participate, to contribute, to vote on, like, what the brand, should it be pink or yellow this season, y'all? Like, what are the colors that we care about? We don't, and so that's, that's a very, I think, uh, fun and simple way that we're approaching a very meaningful problem in my mind. Thank you, Tara. There's a lot to unpack there. So hopefully we'll get to more of it, including this kind of idea of the big brands 
wanting to be more authentic and speak to their audience in new and different ways, which I think blockchain can help unlock. Shifting to Nicole, so you already gave us a little bit of the background of rolling stones around, they fall on your head, you're kind of like, I need to change this. But how did you actually take the skills that you had from a very different, I mean, from the industry, but different types of roles in the industry to then turn that into a founder? And can you share a little bit about kind of what you've built since you made that decision? Yeah, so for me, I, you know, um, I'm sure you guys have heard this term as well, right? But like the just-in-time learning. So that has been really powerful for me is like, you don't have to know everything that you're going to need to know. You just need to know the next thing you need to know, right? So um, for me, it was like, what kind of company do I form? Let me do some research on that, right? And so like just breaking things down into the like single bites till you eat the elephant is like when you think about the whole thing, it becomes paralyzing. And I think for me, it was just like, Let's do, let me just do some research in my own head, right? I'm not going to tell anybody about it. And then you tell people about it and, you know, get good and bad feedback, right? Like, um, you know, then I told my spouse about it and he was like, please don't do that. I was like, that is a single data point that I will take under consideration. I appreciate you. Um, And so, um, you know, really for me, I think was just like breaking things down into the next manageable piece that I had to learn to get it off the ground. Um, And that can, you know, I'm sure for every entrepreneur that is probably a similar story because there's just like too much to do, too much to learn that you just have to like figure out, okay. And then you get to the point where you're like, okay, let me get, you know, five steps ahead of this and 10 steps ahead of this. And then you, you know, you start um, compounding that. But for me, it was really just that journey of starting small and just putting the next block on top. Very like construction mentality, right? Like just draw the plans and then figure out how to build the foundation. So. Yeah, I love that. I think, I mean, just-in-time learning for life also to some extent because there's so much we all could potentially do. So figuring out one step at a time, I really, that resonates a lot with me. Um, So, Nicole, I'm going to stick with you for a second on this next question, which is that we all know that being a founder and starting a, a startup right now is hard. It's hard for a lot of reasons, but being a female founder and an underrepresented founder is even harder. And we see the stats. Um, There are fantastic funds out there and people supporting underrepresented founders, some of whom are in this room, which is great. And it's good advancement, but it's still challenging. Yet you three have all been very successful. So can you share kind of how you've overcome some challenges, maybe in an example or two? Um, Yeah, I really had to think about this question. And it's... um... I think for me, it's like not the scariest thing I've ever done, right? So the scariest thing I ever, like in my career, we'll just start there. So this, the scariest thing I ever did in my career was I was like 23 years old. I got put on this huge hotel project. It was like this big brand and, you know, we'd done all these designs and it was sort of a sink or swim mentality at the firm I was at. So I was like, I don't know, how do you detail like, you know, this construction that's going on the wall? And so... I, you know, did my research, did as best I could, plans go out, this thing gets built, and the contractor totally messed it up. And so we're in this room, and there's like, I'm the only woman in the room, there's, you know, eight 55-year-old white men yelling at me that I did the wrong thing, and I was like, pretty sure I didn't, I gotta hold on, like, I think, I think I'm right. I'm like, no, I know I'm right, like, I know I'm right. And so, you know, just holding my ground and saying, like, no, you put a shitty crew on this, like, this is not my fault. Right here where it said to do it this way, that's not how you did it. And and holding their toes to the line and just not backing down, even though I was like, I had no 
experience in that. It was just my first time being like, wait, everyone's trying to find a scapegoat. I'm like the youngest person in the room. I'm the only female. Like, I'm not going to let this happen. And just like very directly and very sternly holding my ground. And when we left the meeting, the owner, who was like all of our mutual client, right, was like, thank you for that. Like, this will get fixed, but like, thank you for explaining that what had really happened. And I think those types of experiences, so that was like the first time, but like, there's so many of those. And so, right, we've all had those. We've all had those moments in our careers. And so for me, like this journey of entrepreneurship is scary, but it's like, <laughs> but it's not the scariest thing I've ever done, right? Like there's just, there's hard moments in life that, that you just learn from and just figure it out and just stand up for yourself. <laughs> I love that, yeah. Um, Shakisha, I'm gonna pass it to you next in terms of how you've been so successful and overcome any challenges you've had. I've been fortunate to have amazing people in my life, right? <laughs> so I've had a long journey and I have a lot of support folks like from not just friends and family, but career colleagues that have invested in me, literally, right? One of them's here, uh, Jim and Rowane. We used to be bankers together at UBS, one of the early friends and family investors, right? And it was amazing to me that it was like, I had this idea. Um, one of my colleagues from Aetna, Laura Whitridge and I, who's our COO, said, let's sit down and think about, is this a real business? Because it was impacting her too. Her mother-in-law was in the same sort of situation as my mom. How do we figure out is, our personal pain, a real business opportunity. We bootstrapped at the very beginning just to make sure we had a real thing. Uh, and then when we went out, when I went out to ask for support, I was overwhelmed at how much support I got, right? And it was um, very humbling because it's like, no, this is not my money. I have to make sure this is going extremely well, that we're very diligent about what we're doing. These are people's lives and dollars that are at stake. Um, and so it's, it started that journey and it gave me a boost of confidence to be able to sort of persevere and sort of pushing forward. We were lucky enough, along with one of my colleagues from the Techstars Future of Longevity Accelerator, Wendy Bronson's here, her company is bright, also amazing. Um, <laughs> but, but we were fortunate enough to be able to pitch and get into this accelerator program to really help hone because while I had all this corporate experience, while I had M&A and private equity experience, that's very different than startup world. It's very different than venture conversations. And so when you start to go into those venture conversations as a black woman with no other prior startup experience, the types of questions that you get sometimes are like, huh, okay. Uh, and, 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 and I'm old enough and seasoned enough to know when those are those type of questions so you don't waste your time. Right, so at the very beginning, it's like you wanna take all the calls because you wanna make sure you're pitching yourself, you wanna make sure you're getting in front of folks, you're networking, um, and you think all money is good money. Number one, all money is not good money and every conversation is not worth your time. And so the faster you realize that, the more you can move forward without getting frustrated, right? So I was able to start saying no, uh, or thank you for your time, uh, you know, maybe it's not a great fit. Maybe, I don't, I'm not sure if we fit with your thesis, right, and just move on. Um, I actually, last year it was scary because the markets shifted, came out of um, Techstars in the first quarter of 2022. Everybody's throwing money at you after demo day. And it's like, oh, this is great. So we rounded out a little bit of our pre-seed, took a little bit more money and then pushed forward because we were like, no, we now need to build our B2B platform because we are direct to consumer as well. We had originally focused on that, but we need to take a step back, build out B2B and then do fundraising for seed. 
By the time we were ready, the money had dried up because the economy had completely shifted. We were fortunate to get another investor to come in to give us more runway. But in that moment, right before we got that other investor, another investor came to me and wanted to basically downsize my round. Like, yeah, we'll give you this check, the six-figure check, but not for your valuation. And you get scared. It's like, I have to make payroll. What do I do? We want to keep this going. I don't want to move my, lose my prior investors' funds. But I still said no. Just on faith that we were going to get other money, <laughs> uh, which we did, luckily. But it was the best decision I made, right? Because you don't want people to devalue what you've done. And if it's not the right time, it's not the right time. So this new investment that we were able to earn at the end of the year in fourth quarter is now allowing us to completely shift because the hurdles that are required for seed now are different than they were last summer. So how can we build even more traction? Yeah, we have two B2B customers. You need like five to 10. So how do we take the time to be able to do that and really refocus our efforts? And so that's what we're doing this first and second quarter of this year is being able to take that step back. And it's a scary decision to make, but sometimes you're gonna have to face those types of decisions. And sometimes even when you're in a situation where like, I really could use that money. We only have like two months left from like, like how do I figure this out? Um, to really be in a position to hold fast and make the decisions you have to make that you know are right. So it's scary, but it's fun. <laughs> yes, very much. And I, just pulling out a couple of the pieces of what you're saying, Chakisha, is the world is constantly changing around us and what might look one way today is going to look different tomorrow, but staying true to the value you know you've built um, and trusting that has served, served you well. So congratulations on that. Um, and then Tara, um, I'm curious from your perspective, obviously you've probably faced a lot of challenges starting your company, but also there's this challenge of blockchain which gets and Web3, which are words that get thrown around in a lot of different ways. And we had talked previously about kind of the, the idea of teaching and explaining before you can even close a deal. Can you share a little bit about how you think about the challenges you face in this new emerging technology and kind of the, the brand and the company that you're bringing to the fore? Yeah, there's so much jargon within blockchain and crypto and Web3. And what is crypto different than Web3? Are they the same thing? If they are different, what is the difference? And so I think it's with any new technology, there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of learning that's very natural. As a startup founder, though, I have to similarly be able to prioritize my time. And prior to this, I had worked you know, in um, prior jobs in enterprise sales where those sales cycles were 6, 12, 18. I had one deal with IBM that was 24 months, right? But it did close. <laughs> um, and so I have that experience. I know what it's like to have to educate, to build relationships. And I also know I'm a startup. I need to find the counterparts, the brands, who are in a buying cycle. And there's this stat, which probably means absolutely nothing because it's overly generic, but it's that 4% of your buyers are in a buying cycle at any point in time. And so 4% of your market is in a buying cycle at any point in time. I don't have time to spend on the 96%. I have to be able to figure out who are my 4%. And I need to talk with them about how we can help them accomplish the thing they want to accomplish, not tell them what a blockchain is. Like, I just don't have time for that. And I'm happy to spend my time outside of work which is limited, <laughs> to do those things. Because I do think that this is life-changing technology and I want people to understand it and feel comfortable with it and be able to start dabbling in it and, and begin. You don't, you don't get it until you experience it oftentimes with brand new technologies. It's like the words just don't connect. But then when you experience, you're like, oh, wait. Like there's, 
I don't know. Does it, how many people here have a self-custodial wallet? Yeah, very few. Y'all are, this is normal. This, don't feel bad. This is normal. But imagine going to Fidelity and you don't log in with a username and password. You log in with a wallet, an account that is actually yours, that isn't with Fidelity. And then you could see all of your assets there. And then you could take that same thing and go log in at Charles Schwab and you could see all the same assets. And then you could take that and go log into another financial site and see all the same assets. And you could choose where you wanted to trade and which interface you liked. Like this idea of a self-custodial wallet is the concept of you owning your assets, your identity, your information. You don't have a username and password to log into websites. It's mind-blowing. But those are the types of things that you have to experience. And so to the question of how do I think about education, I am very willing to educate of, you have, a, you have a concept that you want to implement, you have a way that you want to engage and reward your community, and you have a very specific question, and you don't know if we're the right solution for you, let's talk about it. But if it's like, hey, tell me why I should care about blockchains, I'm like, sorry, there's someone else who can do that. <laughs> That's totally fair. You, have time, you don't have time for that, necessarily. Okay, so we have time for one more rapid-fire round. So I'm going to start with you, Nicole. Um, same question for everyone, which is... What parting pieces of wisdom or advice would you give to founders or executives here today on how to stay authentic or go rogue? I'm going to steal from one of the panelists earlier because it really resonated with me. And it was like something, um, Kristen, I think. Yeah, Kristen, right? (laughs) Yeah. That I think authenticity, um, I had a longer answer to this, but um, I think, you know, it's values and action combined. I really liked that in one of your answers that you said. And I think... um, values are, they're so wide ranging, right? Like none of us are singularly dimensional. Um, and so, you know, even in our own lives, we have conflicting values, right? Like an example is, you know, my two favorite ways to spend my time are with my kids and without my kids. Like, <laughs> like those are my favorite ways to live. Um, and so I think, you know, that like the values plus action is simple, but because our values can be so hard um, and they can conflict with each other, um, I think when we just just put those two together that, that we feel our most authentic selves. Tara, how about you? I think another or a key part of authenticity is also the willingness to be vulnerable, which is scary. I was um, listening to a TED Talk the other day about why, what are some of the societal reasons why women aren't as represented in more risky ventures as founders or even in STEM fields, like fields that are just really hard. And the hypothesis of this TED Talk was that actually we teach girls to be perfect and boys to be bold. And there is not this acceptance of okay, failing is okay. And so, and I think the feeling of failing is okay. The feeling of I can be vulnerable and someone might reject me and that is okay. I can therefore be authentic and truly myself. And by doing so, people will feel a connection to me for the same reasons that community is powerful as we like to be connected to people. We don't like to be connected to amorphous entities that don't represent anything in particular. And so, The way that I try to approach authenticity is being okay with vulnerability and really being okay with failure, which is way easier said than done. But the good news is a silver lining of being raised by a single mom is that she had to put herself out there and I saw her 
doing this all the time. And she really encouraged me to be okay with failure. And so I, I say, okay, not okay with failure, accepting of failure. It always hurts, but just being willing to know that, you know what, there's actually a ton more value that is, that can be unlocked if you make yourself push through that. Yeah. I love that. Shakisha. I think it's two things that go hand in hand. It's being self-aware and understanding your why, right? So why are you doing what you're doing and understanding what motivates you, what your goals are, but being self-aware enough to know when you're not good at something and being okay with that, learning, making mistakes, learning from those mistakes. But we have this sort of notion that we have to be everything to everyone and that you have to be perfect all the time to be this superwoman. That is a complete fallacy. Every person in this room is a human being and you have strengths and weaknesses and you need to understand who you are and be self-aware enough to be able to navigate how you show up in the world, right? And how you're perceived in the world and how most importantly, you perceive yourself and love yourself. And that goes right back to your why and understanding who you are at your core. Yeah, and how you build a team around yourself too. Absolutely. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. For more stories and insights, please subscribe to our podcast and you can follow us at VentureFuel on LinkedIn.